Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, where every week we post sermons from our lead pastor, Rick Shule, and guest preachers, as well as other content from church members and staff. We hope you hear something that resonates with your soul this week. As promised, it is my pleasure to introduce today Tim Niffen from World Relief Western Washington, who will be uh, giving us the message. Well, I just wanted to say at the outset, it's a real pleasure to be here with you this morning. Um, My name is Tim Niffen, um, as Jeff mentioned, and my role uh, with World Relief Western Washington, well, I should say first, World Relief Western Washington is a resettlement agency. We're the largest resettlement agency for immigrants and refugees in the state of Washington. And so we're um, over 40 years old. We used to be based right in the city, but as the immigrants and refugees moved south, (laughs) we are now based in Kent, right near Highline Community College. Um, And so it's my pleasure to, my role is called the Changemakers Team Lead, and the Changemakers are a group of some of our most dedicated supporters and uh, volunteers. And so I, I keep in touch with about 700 people on a regular basis all around the Puget Sound area and up and down the coast, um, letting them know what we're doing, how they can be involved, what they can pray for, uh, that type of thing. And in one of my interactions, I got to know Pastor Rick. And that was a super big pleasure. We talked a month and a half ago or something like that, and we hit it off right away. And he mentioned coming to speak. And so it's a real, real pleasure to be here with you guys. Um, So he um, told me what um, you guys are up to. It's a real pleasure to be here also for Lent, which is one of my favorite times of year. And I loved hearing um, the discussion right here with the kids. I felt it got right to the heart of it. And it is a real time for us to kind of think about what's important as we prepare for Easter, isn't it? And so Pastor Rick said um, you guys were focusing on prayer and specifically the Lord's Prayer over the next 40 days. And he asked me to focus on the first four words of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven. And as I was thinking about <clears throat> this, I was just thinking just in general about the subject of prayer in general. And it made me think of a story um, at my church in Seattle. Um, I'm a part of a men's group. And just this last week, we had been discussing for a while. And uh, at the end of an hour and a half or two hours, I said, all right, let's pray. And one of the guys in the circle said, do we have to? And honestly, my first, for the first 10 or 15 minutes, I was a little irritated because I know the guy and he's a friend. I'm like, hey, you're not helping me out here. Um, but as I drove home, I thought to myself, I said, you know, what he said is actually pretty common. Um, prayer feels like an obligation. It feels rote. It feels like something I kind of like have to get myself to do. And maybe like chewing vegetables for certain people. It's just kind of something I just got to, you know, grind my way through. And so that makes prayer something of a paradox, isn't it? On one hand, as Ted was reading, uh, we find some of the grandest promises in all of Scripture about prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. The connection, it's one of our main connections with God, is the ability to discuss and talk about the deepest things in our heart with prayer. So it is elevated. And yet at the same time, it is also something that is difficult. 
And that about sums up the spiritual life, if you ask me. Um, these, these things that we do are, at one time, enormous and extraordinary and world-changing. At the same time, hour by hour, minute by minute, they are difficult. And so I think it's totally appropriate um, to be talking about the subject of prayer. I looked up a couple of definitions that helped me out, at least in preparing for this. One was, um, prayer is um, when we seek for help outside ourselves. Or we, we, we seek help for things that we care about outside ourselves. We realize in prayer that we can't do it all on our own. That no matter what things we care about, whether the things about ourselves, things about the people we care about, things about our family, things about our children, things about our parents, um, we can't do it all. In fact, there's very little we can do on our own, right? But even things outside of our own direct influence, um, things that are going on in the world, things that are going on in our city, um, things that are going on in our town, things that are going on in our neighborhood, we can't do all that on our own. So prayer is when we look outside ourselves. We look for direction, we look for wisdom. Another definition of prayer that I looked up is that prayer is unmixed attention. This is by a, uh, a mystic from about 150 years ago, and her name was Evelyn. And she said, prayer is unmixed attention. I really like this definition because to me it means you are focusing on what really matters. And how often do we really do that? How much of our life is spent kind of going from one thing to another, making phone calls, sending emails, talking to people, listening to our bosses, listening to the people who are under us, uh, being a volunteer somewhere. And yet prayer is unmixed attention. It is when we really focus on what is important. And so again, I just want to commend you here at Faith Church for focusing on these things. So as we get to the Lord's Prayer, I just thought it'd be worth mentioning that the Lord's Prayer is indeed Jesus' answer to our frustration with prayer or our boredom with prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a standard prayer, and rabbis of Jesus' time all kind of had their own kind of standard prayer, like this is how you should do prayer. It's kind of like if you go to a gym and this is the basic workout. You know, there are other more detailed or longer workouts, but this is what you should start off with. This is Jesus' answer to that. And so we see in this the things that Jesus is teaching us is important about prayer. And again, Pastor Rick asked me to focus on um, the beginning. So you might ask, what could you do with four words? Our Father in heaven. But there's actually a lot you can do with these four words. So let's start, break it into three parts. We'll do our, Father, and then in heaven, all right? First, our. Is that interesting that we start with our? I did a thought experiment um, as I was preparing this. I was like, I wonder what the Lord's Prayer would sound like if we started with my Father in heaven. How different would that be? Because it's true and as we'll talk about later on, that God desperately wants an intimate relationship with you and you alone. And that personal connection is awfully important to Jesus. And yet he teaches us to pray our. Because ultimately, our relationship with God is not just our own, but is ours together as a community. And we're to think of our relationship with God as a church, as a family, as a neighborhood, in combination with other churches in our area, 
We're to think about problems that um, address us, but also our greater world, and what kind of systemic issues are we facing. So we are to think as an hour. It also reminded me of a story, a guy that I was talking to that also lives here in the Seattle area. And he said, you know, Tim, I really like Seattle. And I said, what do you like about it? He's like, I like it because I don't have to talk to too many people that I don't want to. <laughs> and I do think I'm married to a woman who uh, is of a very quiet Scandinavian family. Um, I do think there's a number of people like this guy in, in the Puget Sound area. And basically what he says, I said, I, I grit my teeth and I said, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, I'm an introvert. I like spending time with myself. And when I'm talking to other people, I prefer that they're people I know and people I choose. I do not like bumping into people when I'm not, you know, when I don't want to, or maybe people who I don't get along with. I prefer to control who I interact with. And I do think that as time goes on, um, you know, I'm 45, so I got my first email address when I was like 20 years old. Um, but as time goes on, we have more and more ways to isolate ourselves if we want to, don't we? We have more and more ways where we can be like, I don't want to run into this person who tells me really long stories or who asks me for things or who just looks different than I do. But Jesus teaches us to, pre to pray our Father because he wants us to remember that we are ultimately a we and that the problems that we have are ultimately we problems. Okay, so that's the our. Father. Our Father in heaven. Now, on this one, Pastor Rick did give me a little note. Um, he, um, he mentioned, he says, you know, Tim, God is not a male. And I thought that's, that's an important thing worth kind of spending one minute on. God is indeed not a male. Um, in fact, God is mentioned in Scripture many times as being a female and a mother. But we do run into the problem of language because here we are talking about something that we still can't imagine no matter how much time we spend thinking about. And so we have to use language. And so we do run into the problems because language ultimately minimizes or limits what God is and God is by definition a limitless thing. So we call God our father or our mother or he or she, but ultimately we know that God is not any of those things. But I think that if we spend too much time on that, then we miss the importance of what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Jesus uses the word Abba, which some translate, not everybody, um, but if we were to translate that here into English, would be something like Daddy. And to get the importance of that, you have to contrast that with how God was described previous or in the same time as Jesus. Everything that we know about how God was talked about before that was distant. Um, God was the all-powerful or the almighty or the savior, all right? But all of these conveyed distance or royalty in a way that was different, that conveyed uh, the exaltedness of God or the power of God in a way that we might talk about a president or a political figure or a celebrity or something like that, the distance between us. And yet here Jesus is, the first that we know of, telling us to call God Daddy. Something like that. What does that mean for us? What Jesus wants us to know is that God is intimately connected with you. And God wants to know you. 
And Jesus will say things like, God knows the number of the hairs on your head. God knows the number of steps you take during the day. And God cares about your problems. God cares about your problems. Even when nobody else does. So when we address God, we want to be talking to God and we don't want to, we don't want to make God think that we're wasting his time. Because God knows what you are, God knows what you're up against, and God cares. And he wants us to ask, ask, ask him about those things. All right, and then we get to in heaven. Our Father in heaven. What's the significance of in heaven? Why is it important that we address God, our Father, in heaven? Why not just Lord? And yet Jesus is teaching us to address God where God is in heaven. What does it look like in heaven? Well, one clue we'll learn later on in the prayer is that we want things to be done in heaven. Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. So we have to know what things are like in heaven for what we're shooting for. And ultimately, I really like um, how it was read. Sorry. Um, your faith church um, vision statement that Jeff read, creating a community where people connect with Christ and partner with God in making things right. And maybe that's just a way we could describe heaven, right? God is, uh, heaven is where things are right. Specifically, we learn in Scripture that heaven is where God's will runs through it, where love is felt, where relationships are righted, and where power dynamics um, are righted where suffering is no more, and then we take our cues from heaven, and that's where we work to see what, see what we can do to make things a little bit more like that here in our daily existence, however small it is. But with that note, I wanted to spend a minute or two telling you about what we do at World Relief. That was something that Pastor Rick asked me to do. So again, I mentioned I work for World Relief Western Washington. We are all over the world, but the Western Washington branch is the one that is in our neighborhood, and that's the one, uh, our office, as I mentioned before. Um, I wanted to tell you a little bit about, again, as, in as short of time as I can, what, our, what we're seeking to address and then how we're seeking to address that um, because that is a major part of how we see our calling to bring um, God's will here more to earth. All right, so what, in terms of what we're trying to address, we're trying to address the problem of forced displacement. Okay, forced displacement. If you think about that, it's all in there, but let me go ahead and define what forced displacement is. Forced displacement is, there we go, thank you. Um, is any of, if you can read those slides, any of, we use a lot of different terms for refugees or asylees or SIVs, but the important thing here to learn is that forced displacement is when you are forced to be displaced. In other words, where you are forced to leave your home. And that's often in a matter of days. And I've had many um, of these people that we work with that I get a chance to talk and I always ask them like, what do you want me to say to other people? Because that's pretty much my job is just to talk to people. I say, what do, you want me, what do you want them to know? And they'll often say something like, imagine what it would be like to be told you have to leave home within 48 hours and you can only take what you can carry on your back. What type of situation would force you to leave whatever you know, whatever languages you know, whatever family members or friends or neighbors you know, what would it take? And um, if you can think about what that would be for you, chances are that's very similar to what it is for these people from around the world. These are the people that we work with. Now, one thing I want you to realize is that this is different 
than other um, categories of people that might be coming to the U.S. for, let's say, better opportunity or for a job, all right? Our main role is with people who are forcibly displaced. Now, what do we know about those people? Next slide, please. Um, globally, that number is 103 million people. That's a statistic from the UN. That's for the globe, and that's just for one year. And let me tell you that that number is much higher than it was just even one or two years ago. Um, I believe two years ago, the number was 90 million. So then you got to be asking yourself, what's happening in our world outside of where I, what's normal for me that is causing people to leave that much? And you can come up with a bunch of answers. Um, if we had the time, we could talk about what those things are, but there's multiple, multiple, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 reasons why someone might be forced out. But the number is growing right now. The other thing you should know about people who are forcibly displaced are, um, uh, actually, go back to that last slide. Uh, only 1% of these people, the 103 million, ever leave their country. So that means that 99%, and really it's more like 99.5, 99.8% of those people are displaced from their home but yet stay within the boundaries of their country. What World Relief does is we work with the 1% who do come, all right? And last year, um, just to give you a round number, we worked with about 1,200 of these people who came to uh, the state of Washington, and there's a couple of other resettlement agencies who do something similar. I can't remember what the total for the state of Washington is. And our goal is to empower. Um, you'll see, um, this is Doug and Lissy. They live in Maple Valley, and I can't remember the name of their participants, but they, these are their friends that they welcomed and uh, worked with for over the course of years uh, to become participating members of, uh, of the C greater Seattle area. So we work with um, both ourselves, we offer services, and also working with churches and other community groups all around the Puget Sound area to help make these transitions as best as possible. And I could tell you, we've developed, we've increased the number of services that we've done even in the last two or three years. Um, and I could tell you more about that, but I think what's most important to tell you about right now is if this is interesting at all to you, go ahead to the next slide. Uh, I've already covered this. This is the number of people who are, oh, sorry. And these are, we are seeing a lot of people from Afghanistan and Ukraine and all around the world. But you, as you can imagine, as things are going on around the world, we see different numbers of people for different reasons. Sorry, next slide, I hope. Yeah, there we go, okay. Uh, there's so much more to say, um, but if you are interested, either as an individual or as a church community, and I've mentioned stuff like this to Pastor Rick, and I think he has, is interested in talking to some of you about it, um, there, there are ways that you can be involved, all right? We have a community garden that has about 40 plots for refugees to grow kind of food that they're accustomed to down in Kent. You can come and join us. We have work days from time to time. We have cultural companions who are kind of like individual relationships that help people um, along their journey of resettlement. And uh, we have teams at churches that we call good neighbor teams that do something similar. We have people who um, host, used, uh, use their home for, as a host home for people who are coming into the U.S. And there's many, many, many other ways. There is a, uh, what do they call those? The codes that you can use with your phone if you'd like to learn more. Um, a QR code, thank you, a QR code. There's a QR code right there that you can use. So in closing, um, thank you so much. Um, this is one little way that we can, you know, work on what does it mean to have God's will here on earth, to be things on earth here as it is, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Um, that's one way that I spend a lot of my time. 
um, working, on, um, uh, working on resettlement and welcoming people. One thing I just want to emphasize is, um, you know, when I'm talking to uh, people from all different backgrounds, whether they are up in the Bellingham area, whether they're in Everett, whether they're in Sammamish, whether they're in the city of Seattle, um, is that, you know, welcoming the stranger is one of the, uh, no matter how you interpret the Bible, one of the themes running through Scripture. It's there right in the first couple chapters. It goes throughout what we call the Old Testament. It goes throughout what we call the New Testament. And there are very, very, very few things that you could say are as dramatic and consistent a theme in what God tells us to do in terms of following his will. And I remember a story of where, where I was asked on a Thursday afternoon to help resettle someone who had just come to the U.S. This is about a year ago, a year and a half ago. And I actually came to a home that I, would, I imagine, I haven't looked it up, but I imagine it's just a mile or two away from here. And there was a man who was an interpreter for the Afghan, uh, for the Afghan army, interpreting uh, the U.S. so that they were able to communicate together. And he had been working with the U.S. and Afghan armies for about 15 years. And he had a wife who was pregnant and a four and a two-year-old. And when he was told about what was happening with Kabul being um, overturned, he had to flee. His plane left the Kabul airport two, after, two, sorry, two hours after the city was overtaken. And here he is, he's, the rest of his family, he's got his two kids and his seven-month seven pregnant wife coming to Sammamish, Washington, and I'm, and I'm driving him to a halal grocery store about 10 minutes up here. And I was like, what are you going to do? And uh, I just can't tell you how optimistic this guy was. And he says, I believe that this will work out. I believe that this community will welcome me. He was just about to sign a lease on an apartment in Kent and uh, sign his kids up for preschool. But that's the work we can do. We can make families like those, um, people like those, more welcome and uh, better integrated into our community. So, again, thanks so much for your time. It's a pleasure to be here at Faith Church. Thank you for listening to the Faith Church podcast. If you would like to find out more about Faith United Methodist Church in Issaquah, Washington, visit our website at www.faithunited.org or call the church office at 425-392-0123. Have a great week.